0: Got to get the technology going here. So, as I was preparing the sermon for this morning, uh, a couple of weeks ago, ahead of my son's wedding, which is where I was last Sunday, uh, officiating his wedding up in Carthage, um, they held their wedding at the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame which is an interesting place to have a wedding. And it went very well, but as I was preparing uh, the message, I hit print on my laptop, and I went to where my printer usually was, and I could hear it functioning, but it was underneath sheets and plastic protecting it from the dust of all the renovations that were going on, And on top of the sheets and the plastic were uh, whatever the painters had piled on my desk. And so um, my notes printed out a a little askew. But that's okay, we're gonna get through this. I understand, Bobby, you had some issues with your uh, notes last week, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a trend. I I can't explain it, but this is where we are. But that's okay because we're in Hebrews chapter 4 and that part printed out very nicely. Uh, beginning at verse 12, hear what the writer of Hebrews writes. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, whoever the writer of Hebrews was, only God knows for sure. He tells us that the word of God, we might just call it the truth, is likened to a two-edged sword. It's an interesting analogy, I think. The sword of the word is, is sharp like a surgical instrument. In fact, the message version calls it a scalpel. It can divide and distinguish between things that are generally seen as closely related or even indistinguishable. And the soul and the spirit mentioned in Hebrews 4 are two words that are so similar that most people understand them to be the same thing. I think most of us have used them interchangeably in our everyday language the soul and the spirit. But truly the biblical definition of soul and spirit are two distinct parts of the human being. 1 Thessalonians, you might make a note of this, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 shows us that human beings are made up of three distinct parts, a spirit, a soul, and a body. So what's the difference then between spirit and soul? Well, the spirit is the life force within each of us. It's that part of our being that was created by God to be perfect. It's the part of us that is justified when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the part of us that is sanctified as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we become more and more like him. It's the sanctified spirit that we will have for all of eternity. The spirit is who we truly are. It's our true identity. And we have that because of what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. See, the spirit is who God sees when he looks at us. The spirit is humankind the way God created us to be. So what's the soul then? The soul, on the other hand, is that part of us that makes us unique among all of God's creation. It's it's what we might call our personality, our thoughts, our attitudes. As, As believers, the spirit is blameless because of Jesus, because the spirit is what God created us to be. But our soul, our soul, our thoughts, our attitudes, our heart needs continual renewal in the Word. It needs constant reminding of who we really are in the Spirit. See, our soul needs saving. Not just once and done, but continually, every day, our soul is in need of mercy and grace. Which is a good thing that the bible tells us that god's grace and mercy are new every morning there's a reason for that because our soul needs it our soul needs it what's the song jean as as the deer pants for the water so my soul thirsts after you a body is the vessel containing both the soul and the spirit so in this physical life that we're living in now the body is essential as the temple for our soul our spirit and guess who else the holy spirit of god who dwells with us isn't that remarkable that your spirit and the holy spirit dwell in the same temple that's a little bit scary too when you think about it because everything i do the holy spirit's right there watching whether I want him to be or not. So the Amplified Bible has an interesting version of Hebrews 4.12. It reads like this. It says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, and the immortal spirit and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. This word of God is a powerful thing. Any weapon can be powerful in the hands of the right User. See, the thing to keep in mind about a two-edged sword is it's a dangerous weapon. Handling it improperly, it can cut the wielder just as easily as it can cut someone else. When the truth is used incorrectly as a weapon to point out the flaws of another person, the one using it often finds themselves convicted, cut, by the same sword, convicted by the same word. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, he says, You then that teach others, will you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, Do you rob temples? See, we have to be mindful. Paul's reminding us here in Romans that when we swing the sword of truth that it has two edges, sharp edges that are capable of cutting in both directions, capable of cutting those that swing it just as deeply as those it is used against. So before we swing the sword of truth, It's wise to ground ourselves in Scripture, to examine our motives, our intentions, so that we always speak the truth in love and from a position of righteousness, not a position of self-interest, lest the blade penetrate our own heart as deeply as it does those we seek to correct. And so as we continue in our passage in Hebrews 4, verse 13 says, And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account, which is Jesus, by the way. So in examining our hearts, we should know that we cannot hide our secrets in our hearts. There's really no place we can hide them. Hebrews tells us that the content of our soul, our heart, will be laid bare in front of him. We can't hide the content of the heart because God sees it all right now. And so really, what's the point in trying to hide it when the truth, the word will lay it all open on that coming appointment when we give our account before Jesus at the judgment? The confession is good for the soul. Confession and repentance are essential for getting our souls aligned with our blameless spirit in Christ. So the next part of the passage in Hebrews explains why. Why confession is good for the soul. Why our spirit as believers is blameless. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. See, this is saying that our confession doesn't fall on deaf, unsympathetic ears. Because Jesus, our Savior, is our intercessor and our advocate. Our, our Savior is sympathetic to our struggle. He's sympathetic to our struggle, our day-to-day struggle as a human being in this fallen and broken world. Why? Because he has been where we are. He's walked those miles in our shoes. He's not only fully God, but he was fully human, enduring Every temptation, every hardship, every difficulty, every trial and tribulation that we're going through right now, and he did it all without sinning. And because he did it without sinning, he qualified as that perfect sacrificial lamb for our inability to be sinless. He paid the sacrifice, he His sacrifice paid the debt in full. His sacrifice covered our transgressions with the blood of the lamb. And because of that, we can now approach the throne of God, the throne of grace, not as timid, weak, apologetic. No, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Doesn't that feel better? Doesn't that feel better? That you can can approach the throne of God Almighty with your head held high, that doesn't mean with arrogance, that means that you are confident that the blood of the lamb that covers you has indeed paid your sin debt. And you can stand in the presence Of a perfect, holy, mighty, righteous God with no shame whatsoever. Verse 16, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I wonder, do we really understand the depth of that scripture? Whatever our need, whatever our circumstance, whatever we're struggling with in this life, whatever we are enduring, we are able, because of what Jesus did for us, to receive mercy and grace to meet the needs of our circumstances, to meet our need in our time of struggle. I mean, do we have any needs? As humans in the fallen, broken world, do we have need of mercy and grace. Of course we do. There are going to be times in this life when we feel alone and abandoned. Even those uh, of us who call ourselves Christian, there are times when our circumstances and our struggles just seem to overwhelm us. But our Savior endured all that we are going through. And more. He had that feeling of utter abandonment on the cross. You remember he cried out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? See, when, when he said those words, he had the weight of all of our sins, all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, pressing down on him. With those words, he was quoting Psalm 22, which was just read for us. It begins with those very words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer, and by night but I find no rest. But see, that's just the beginning of the psalm. <coughs> because he continues. Past all the lamenting. He says, but you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver me, my soul, from the sword. My life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. And then the psalm ends. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. See, what begins with despair ends in total, complete victory. We don't think that Jesus knew that when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the end of that was posterity will serve him, future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn. That's you and me, by the way. Saying that he has done it. What began with agony and abandonment. Ends with redemption and victory. And because of who he is. And who we are in him. We get to share in the victory. We need his mercy and grace every day. And we receive his mercy and grace every day. Because his mercy and grace. Are new every morning. Every morning. Including This morning, whatever your burdens are today, allow the Holy Spirit to usher you into the throne room of God. It's within your reach as a believer. Don't you see it? If there's any doubt, don't you know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? That's your backstage pass into the throne room. It's within your reach. It's it's right next to the cross of Christ. It's right there. It's approachable through Jesus. And if you're on the fence about this whole Jesus thing this morning, if you're watching online and you're just saying, I'm not sure about Jesus. If you're on the fence, there's no time like right now to gain access to the mercy and grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so... I want to extend that invitation. Whether you're in the sanctuary this morning or whether you're online this morning, Mercy and Grace are here for the Ask I want everyone here to join in in this invitation with your heads lifted up to God boldly and your eyes closed Seeking the throne of grace. This is our posture of prayer this morning. To our Father in heaven and to our Savior Jesus. If you are wanting to ask Jesus into your heart this morning for the first time. While all of our eyes are closed and our heads are gazing upwards to the heavens. I want you to step out boldly this morning. And I want you to pray this prayer after me now because we will never be in this moment again. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am weak in my sin. I have not lived my life according to Your will. I am lost and I am broken. But I believe that you came into the world and took my sin upon yourself. I believe you went to the cross as payment for my sins and the sins of all people everywhere. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you died and went to the grave and then rose again, conquering death and in so doing provided the way of reconciliation and redemption for me to my Father in heaven. Lord Jesus, I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord, the Lord of my life from this moment forward. And I claim the inheritance of eternal life with you. For it is in your mighty name that I pray. Amen. If you prayed those words just now for the very first time, with an honest and contrite heart, I encourage you to get with me or one of the elders of the church Either after service or in the coming days ahead, and we will begin to explore the next steps in your faith journey. If you're on the live stream, all you have to do is go to the church website, you will find my email address, you will find my mobile phone number. If you have questions, you can call me. Know that by asking Jesus into your heart, if you did that just now, you are now justified. You're able to approach the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace now in your time of need and forevermore. That's worthy of a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we rejoice in this day, this day of salvation, this day where the Word of God cuts to the quick and separates our righteousness from unrighteousness. What a great thing that is. That's all I got.